Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and I'm here to wish you all a very happy holiday. And if you don't celebrate, you still get to have fun and like gingerbread cookies and chocolate and whatnot. And speaking of no fun, Alex is here. Alex, how you doing? <laughs> I am having the least amount of fun possible, and that is great. <laughs> I survived Black Friday. I survived Cyber Monday. And... I am enduring these holidays, and that's all that I can be expected. Yeah, it's kind of funny that, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and yet all most of us can do is just endure. Yeah, um, endure the crowds, endure endure excitement, endure 25 minutes of trailers, trying to watch a movie in theaters. Well, speaking of enduring, our friends over at the Sugar Coated Murder Podcast have just released their new book, Click, 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 uh, part of the Say My Name series, which means there's going to be more of these books. But it's currently in the top, I believe, 50 in the new re- release category for murder books on Amazon, which Ooh. is super cool. Uh, we will have an, a link to that book in our episode description. So before we dive into today's subject, we're going to take a quick ad break from our friend Antonio over at the Cultworthy, which we're subverting his ability to just do better than us at any of these things. And we're covering movies that haven't even come out yet. Fresh from the future. So enjoy these quick words from Antonio at the Cultworthy podcast, and we will be right back. The Cultworthy podcast. Join me, Antonio Palacios, each week as I guide you through a never-ending sea of obscure cinema and Cultworthy gems that deserve a rediscovery. Find me on all listening platforms and at thecultworthy.com. The Cultworthy Podcast. Join us. And we are back. We are here to talk about nine trailers from upcoming movies and TV series yes, that we, we are. are very excited for coming out in 2023. And the way this is going to work is we are literally going to watch the trailers. We've seen most of these before because we posted them on social media or shared them, I should say. And we're going to come back and kind of talk about it after we've seen it for the third, fourth, thirtieth time in Alex's case for Cocaine Bear. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're going to... Uh, let you know ahead of time if you want to uh, watch the trailers along with us and just kind of refresh yourself. I've made a playlist of these nine trailers, so maybe I'll put that in the episode description as well. So you can kind of click it, watch the trailer, come back to us, and we will just have a brief talk about this. So let's let's get started. The first trailer we have up here is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which shout out to Michael Basudel, producer editor of a bunch of the Radiant Black Massive Verse comics. He pointed out that Quantumania contains Ant-Man in the word, and it blew my mind. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Curse you, Marvel, and your cleverness and make paying millions of dollars for people to make up words that contain words. Ultimate, uh, oh crap, I forgot that game you played. Ultimate Alliance? Mad Libs. The oh, Ultimate, Ultimate Mad, Mad Libs. Libs. <laughs> Mad Libs. <laughs> We're going to go watch the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We will be right back. So, what's it going to be? Ant-Man. Another story. During watching of that, my perhaps my twelfth time. <laughs> uh, it's it's a uh, one of the more dour Marvel trailers that we've seen. 
it definitely it starts off fun you've got that thank you spider-man moment which is great but then you have a really quick transition into the the drama of the the whole adventure which i i do like that it seems that most of this movie is going to be taking place within the quantum realm or the microverse whatever you want to call it and uh I will say the first thing that comes to mind is I am a little sad to see Abby Ryder Fortson leave as Cassie, which she got aged up in Endgame, mm-hmm. uh, but she's already been recast because in Endgame, we had Emma Furman play the role of Cassie, which I mean, she had like one line and now they're bringing in Catherine Newton, who may be best known as uh, the female protagonist from Detective Pikachu with... Um, uh, oh, geez. What's his name? Was it Jaden? Not Jaden Smith. Justin Smith? Justice Smith. Justin Smith. Oh, that was Justice. Now I got to look it up. Yep. Now we're looking uh, at Justice Smith. Justice yep. Smith. You're right. And then she played Lucy Stevens in that as well. Uh, just want, want to make sure we get the names right. Uh, so Catherine Newton is the new Cassie, which I mean, she looks great. I, I, I honestly, from the first time I watched it, I, I was like, I thought they recast her, but they didn't. So... Or they did, but they, they did a good enough job that you can't really tell. Um, but Alex, what are your thoughts leading into Ant-Man and the Wasp? So my thoughts leading into it is that I think they bookend it well. You have the joke, what is it, from She-Hulk or something that he has a podcast and no one listens to it. So that's how everybody knows everything that's happened <laughs> with all the battles and stuff. Because he's like the least listened to podcast of any of the Avengers. And, you know, they go, thank you, Ant-Man. I mean, Spider-Man. And then Kang at the end was like, so what do you say, Ant-Man? I thought that bookends it well. Like, because they do continue this kind of the story of Scott just doesn't get any respect. And he doesn't get any love from really anyone. (laughs) And it seems to play upon that a little bit. After all, he was lost for five years and nobody really, I mean, he was just marked as one of the gone. And he came back and they were kind of like, what are you talking about? There's even so little disbelief of him even then. I'm hoping that this movie is more serious. But I don't want it dour. I've kind of viewed the two Ant-Man movies and, and um, as kind of like they're specifically made for a younger audience to enjoy. Because we're what now, like year 16 or 17 of the Marvel universe, we're just getting inundated with so much Marvel stuff now that it's getting a little tiring to try to keep up. But the Ant-Man movies, you know, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I've enjoyed them for being more lighthearted. Um, the first one, you have a battle on the train set with Thomas the Train Engine. The second one continues that with like giant Pez flying around, entire buildings that shrink into little portable suitcases. So I'm hoping that there's still some of that joy and some of that playfulness, but it would be nice to have it a little more mature a little bit like the most goofy the most disrespected of the avengers is the one who comes face to face with their newest greatest threat in king the conqueror i i like that concept a lot and uh it seems that uh, you mentioned she hulk before it seems that ant-man has kind of become the most marketable avenger as well like we see in hawkeye that ant-man's there even though he wasn't, Clint brings it up and no one cares. And then in in She-Hulk, we, we see a, a few nods to Scott Lang being a little more well-known. And now in this one, he's at like a red carpet event and he and Hope are like a hot couple in, in society. And it's it's interesting to see what, what that brings to 
the the MCU. Like he may, is he the new Tony Stark or is he considering himself the new Tony Stark because of how his notoriety has risen over the the last couple of years since the the end of Endgame. So it's it's a really fun idea to see Scott kind of put back into his place with this adventure into the quantum realm and like barely escaping with his Cassie's and presumably Hank Hope and Janet's lives. Um, I would I would hope that most of if not all of them survive, but I wouldn't be shocked if like Hank ends up dying or even Ho- Hank and Janet end up dying in this. I, I hope not because I still love Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> I've had a crush on her since I was literally like six, seven years old. <laughs> Can't take that away from me. The image of that catsuit doesn't go away. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hope they they don't. But I do think that there needs to be something setting up this really quick push that we're going to be getting here. Because uh, Kang, the Kang Dynasty starts in 2024. So we've got a year and a half essentially to get to the rise of Kang, which again, you would hope that it's not an age of Ultron situation where they just are like, Oh, it's a cool title. Let's use that. But it's all over within a matter of days. Yeah. I hope not. I hope it's something consequential is much as this one appears to be more of a dire movie. I think the phase four of the Marvel universe, which is just ended with black Panther two in Ant-Man, but officially starts phase five, right? The quantum mania, I believe yep. starts officially phase five. Yep. One one of the things about Phase 4 has been basically every single movie and TV show has in some way dealt with grief or loss and pain, which I think ha- was a good decision to because you, we did jump that five years of half the population of the entire universe being lost from Endgame to, I mean, from... Um, uh, Infinity uh, War? Crap. Infinity War to Endgame. That was like the only two movie, you know, that was one movie to another. They jumped over that, and people, of course, we had to speculate, and I think they did a good job without a phase four of everything from the Scarlet Witch to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and to even She-Hulk touched on it a little bit, and the movie certainly touched on that about the loss of five years and the people they lost and things that happened within those time periods of getting somebody back and immediately losing them. But I don't want that to continue forward, especially when you had something, such a direct through line from Scarlet Witch to Doctor Strange 2, and then, you know, into definitely Black Panther, which they could not really avoid that due to the passing of Chadwick Boseman. But I am a little over being uh, being surrounded by the misery of the MCU. So I hope that is not that they're also taking Ant-Man and the Wasp and they're making it a little bit more mature, but I don't want to deal with more loss, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. And uh, that's something Ricky and I actually talked about. Uh, I went and saw Wakanda Forever again with her. And uh, one of the first things she and I talked about was how how heart wrenching a real world situation like that would be where T'Challa was gone for five years they didn't know he was coming back. Then he came back. And then within months, days, years of being back, he's gone again. Like what what kind of role or what kind of mental break does that give someone like Nakia and Shuri and Ramonda? That's one thing that they really didn't touch on in the movie is the fact that, well, I guess most everyone was snapped besides Nakia, apparently. But it, that that's a, a, a subject that maybe could have come up as well, because Okoye had him back for maybe a couple, two, three years, and then he was gone again permanently. And it just, oof, 
we seem to be in a a weird mixture with like Marvel has a hard time balancing that humor, which we've seen because like Thor Love and Thunder, despite it being a pretty heavy subject matter, is largely a comedy. And it I think it worked to its detriment, but it does balance out a lot of the stuff that we've had to deal with, like with these, what you said with uh, WandaVision going into maybe not so much Multiverse of Madness. That is a little bit more of just like a fun action horror movie. Yeah, but even then, like her, the reason why she was doing it was her children were stripped away from her and her husband. I mean, that was her motivation. Her motivation was her pain. And even with Thor Love and Thunder, I would argue that that movie, while being an insane comedy, it all brings back the last like 10 minutes that he loses Jane Foster, Mighty Thor. And it's about a father's pain of the gods that didn't care about his child and, or his family. It ends on a kind of a dour note. I mean, yeah, they try to spin it right the last few seconds, but that's like one of the, the lingering things has been just death, pain, and an inability to move past it, which I understand when you lose somebody, you know, I've lost people in my life have been very close to me but every mar you know every three months a new marvel movie or show comes out and i'm being re-hammered with it i like i don't want the goofiest of the superheroes to do that to me even like spider-man didn't really escape that because the spider-man movies i mean geez what happened with um with aunt may and then of course all the spider-man are like yeah i lost somebody too you know <laughs> and then peter parker literally loses everybody in the world loses him, you know. I, I want a little bit of hope to come back to the MCU. So please don't take away Janet and Hank from me. <laughs> <laughs> not, at least not both of them. One of them, okay. But as long as Catwoman's still alive. <laughs> well, Catwoman might still be alive in the Flash universe. We'll find out later this year. Uh, but speaking of losing things, what happens when a drug lord loses his cocaine over a rural Knoxville, Tennessee area? Let's watch the trailer for Cocaine Bear and find out. That's an expert transition, everyone, in case you didn't know that. An expert transition. Cocaine Bear, up next. Apex Predator. High on cocaine. Out of its mind. Oh man, you fuck. Uh, so do you know the the story behind the quote unquote inspired by true events? Yeah, no, I've been aware of this for a very long time. This on lovely ongoing joke because it actually is true, as you know. But the only thing that they know about this bear is that yes, there was a drug lord smuggling operations in eighty in Kentucky in the eighties in Kentucky. He was trying to abandon the plane because it was overloaded with coke. He he pushed some cocaine out. And he leaped off himself. They found like his body in the trees, and while they were looking for a stash. They found a bear, like a 197-pound bear, surrounded by 40 packages of ripped-open cocaine. And they're like, the bear didn't eat this, right? But then they did a full biopsy of the bear, stomach full of cocaine, and the bear apparently died of, like, everything. Heart <laughs> failure, aneurysms, blood vessels exploding this. And the, the joke that I've known about it for, like, the last 10 years or so, when it's come up now and then, because I believe it's the bear was eventually stuffed and sold. And I believe it's in a museum now after trading hands privately for a while. I believe it's in a museum in Kentucky. That's when I heard about it. It was like up for auction from the from one of the owners before being bought and put in a museum. So it's been like 2012, 13, something, or somewhere around there. But the joke that I've known was that for about 10 minutes, this bear was the most apex predator the world had ever seen <laughs> because of how much coke <laughs> it had. 
that is the only part of the story that's true. A bear wants to do cocaine. Yeah, Elizabeth <laughs> Banks is kind of making this story the revenge story for the bear because of the fact that, yeah, <laughs> humans interfered in its environment and it got completely screwed up on drugs. So she's basically going to be like, what if this bear with a shit ton of cocaine in its system could find more? And basically it was like <laughs> Jason Statham and Crank. It just like found that adrenaline rush to keep it yes. from not dying and basically became Jaws mixed with the Fast and the Furious movies. And what I love about it is that it's the absurdity and it, they know it's absurd. And I'm just, I, I'm a huge, I'm a fan of her, um, especially since she was in one of the Spider-Man movies. I believe it was, she was in Spider-Man 2 and 3 briefly. Oh no, as, she, um, she was in 1, 2, and 3. She was Betty Brant. She was in all 3. Oh, that's right. I keep uh, getting confused about how big of a role that uh, Emily Deschanel had when she was really only in the first one who you know denied him access because his pizza was late that or was something like that. That was the second yeah, one. That was the second one? Yeah, the pizza delivery was the second oh, one. Oh, man. Oh, you're right. Then, of course, she was Efi in the Hunger Games movies, but she's now especially in my heart because my wife and I are huge fans of Press Your Luck, and she brought it back like four years ago. She's fantastic as the host of Press Your Luck. But that she knows what kind of movie she's filming with the just blatant horrible jokes of the kids of like the young kid going, man, this is the kind of thing that scars a man. <laughs> and the you know the random tourists getting attacked when they're like, we have such great luck with nature. So I have a question. Uh, this is just yeah. Are you getting Elizabeth Banks and the elder Deschanel sister confused, or are you getting Carrie Russell and the older Deschanel sister confused? No. Okay. Emily Banks was in the Spider-Man movies, right? Yes. One, two, and three. Yes. Oh, and then you transitioned. Sorry. Okay, I, I see where yeah, you went. Sorry. I'm sorry. I lost yeah. track of what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I've that done was a, a lot weird, of... That was a weird uh, <laughs> tangent that my brain just kind of like... I was thinking more about Cocaine Bear, and I'm like, wait a minute. Why is he still talking about the Deschanel sister? We're talking about Cocaine Bear here. <laughs> no. No, it's right. So the last thing I really want to say about Cocaine Bear um, real quick is the the one paramedic that is uh, showcased very early on that gets crushed by the door. I was like, oh, I know that guy. Who is that guy? His name is like Scott Sarisi or something like that. Uh, he's no, he's a known TikToker who basically just goes on. I work in retail rants of like, oh, you want me to go look in the back? There is no fucking back. There's it's not in the shelves. It's not in stock. Go away. He, he does those kind of videos. Huh. Didn't know that. I spent about five minutes of my day like I know this guy and I looked him up on IMDb. He had no credits. I'm like, I know this man. I've seen him in my life. Like, what the hell is happening? And then I saw, oh, he's it's that <laughs> guy. Gotcha. He doesn't have credits, but he is a TikToker. Got it. Speaking of a world without TikTok, <laughs> next up is the last one. <laughs> That's how you don't do a transition. <laughs> TikTok is what the little clickers or fungi people sound like in the last of us i don't know but yeah the next trailer we're gonna watch here is the last of us we'll be right back if you don't think there's hope for the world why bother going on you haven't seen the world so you don't know you keep going for family i'm not family no cargo so pedro pascal is doing his best nathan fillion impression here right <laughs> oh yeah that opening line of dialogue that he has i'm like that's nathan fillion and then they show me pedro pascal i'm like no 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 <laughs> 
Did you ever play the games? I played the opening sequence to it, and then I just never picked it up again. I had borrowed it when uh, I was at GameStop. We could check out games that were pre-owned, and we had a, a copy come in. So I was like, oh, I'll check this out. This is supposed to be fantastic. And I did the opening sequence, but then Ricky, she was like, this is too depressing. I can't play this. I was like, okay, well, I'll pick it up and try it again later. And I just never did, and I eventually had to return it to the store and just never went back to it because it's one of those games that's like, I want to have time to play it, but I also want to sleep. And usually Ricky and I spend our waking hours together. So do I sacrifice the sleep or do I play a game? And I'd like, I'd rather sleep. So I kind of want to go into this a little more unaware of what the, the story is, because I would prefer not to be spoiled. It's like what the virus is. I know it's like plant based, but I don't really know if it's like man-made or if it's supposed to be kind of like the happening where nature strikes back. So all that sort of stuff. I'm like, don't tell me anything. I love the game. I played it on the PS3. I I am very happy to see that there are sequences that show what looks like a mall. You can um, and like show um, Ellie in a photo booth. That is Riley. That is somebody she's with for her backstory. I won't spoil that. But they released the original game and then they released a, a thing called Left Behind, which is Ellie's backstory, which is in there, which is fantastic. So. The Last of Us by itself, as a story from Joel's perspective, is yes, is depressing. It is one of the few games that I felt so immersed in that I just would replay levels and then eventually replay the entire game. Like the original part of it is a basically as the world kind of falls apart and something happens with Joel and you're playing as a child in that portion. You're not playing as Ellie, you're playing as a child, a different child. And it's the way they put you in the game where you're in a car, uh, Joel's driving a car and the child's in the car, and you're able to move around the car. And as you do, they're like touching the seat and looking out the windows and pressing against it. It made you feel immersed. It was gorgeous. And then there's beats of the game, which just linger with you for their beauty as well as a horror. There's a section, um, my wife doesn't like horror games and stuff like that but she enjoys watching me play and so she'll look up for the story moments and then occasionally point out oh by the way you died again i'm like yeah i'm aware i died and then she's like you know that clicker is always in the same space so you should stop dying from it. i'm like i know <laughs> they call it the zombies clickers there's a part in the game called the draft moment the show better have that moment because it is the last brilliant moment of beauty before the game plunges into the abs- uh, absurdity and the trauma and then the game ends in such a powerful note that it has left me wondering for years what that note meant. I am not a fan of the sequel, so I hope they don't even touch on any of that crap because I hated, hated the sequel. But I played it on the PS3 many times. I played the PS4 version many times. I, I love revisiting it for story moments. And this can be done so well because it is a cinematic experience that the, that the gameplay, while important is almost tertiary to everything else. With a game like this, I play to get to the next beats of story because that's how much I'm invested in what they were doing with it. And then, yeah, this gameplay was good and the action gunplay and guns and blah, blah, blah. I'm feeling powerful and killing clickers and zombies and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But I have hope that this can have the emotional impact seeing it played out in live action. I, I, I just need that. I don't know if it's going to be able to do that because video games are such... An immersive experience in which you are controlling the action, you're controlling the pace, you are living that moment when it's done well. That the passive experience of viewing, I don't know how they're going to replicate that, but I think they can. When you have as strong an actor in the role as Pedro Pascal. The last few years, the way he has drawn me into his acting, the few times in Mando where he takes off his helmet, 
makes me believe that I will be invested in this if they follow him correctly and he hits those emotional climaxes. Yeah, I don't know if you listened to our um, What You Do in episode from last week, uh, but I talked about how I had watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And Matt raised mm-hmm. a really great point about how Pedro Pascal is kind of this weird Hollywood middleman where he's he's not quite like superstar level yet, even though he has the talent for it. But he's also not like hurting for opportunities like the man. He's Mando. He's got The Last of Us. He was just in massive talent. He was in Game of Thrones. Like he's he's been everywhere. Yeah, he was the best part of the, that terrible Netflix film, The Bubble. He was the sure. best part of that. <laughs> Uh, if it's on a Netflix movie, I'm sure it's awful. That's that just kind of they seem synonymous at this point. Like they maybe they can be fun bad, but I I don't know about good at, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. All right, with that, let's move on to Gen V, which is a spinoff of The Boys on Amazon Prime. So we're gonna check that out. We'll be right back. I'm superhuman, right? We're made of steel. So this is basically what if X Men were a private organization with government ties like uh, i'm the it, it's more of a first look than anything it's a teaser and it's just kind of like hey you like the boys and all the gore and violence right well look at this there's someone who's throwing entrails around like are, is that part of their power or are they just telekinetic watch and find out yeah i don't really care <laughs> I, I just I, I just don't the, the only thing i found interesting is i play a game called vampire the masquerade and i play a tremere which tremere are a vampire clan that have blood powers and one of her blood powers is the ability to spew blood at other people and damage them and like hook them and stuff like that and i saw somebody do that and went oh cool so that's what it would look like <laughs> and then i completely checked out i i just i just have no interest in this we've talked about it i love i love the boys i you know, watch the first season after our surgery and just binge it all. And then I caught up on seasons two and three and all the comic this past summer. I mean, the cartoon, you know, like, oh, I need to get back to that and just binge through it and just was like, oh, I don't know why I didn't, you know, stick season to season. But I just saw this and yeah, whatever. OK, it exists. Yeah, it looks like it's something that maybe is taking place before season one of the boys, because I think we see a train getting promoted or uh, signing on with the seven at this point and a quick glimpse in the trailer. Yeah, and that short guy still alive. Yeah, I will say that I'm excited for this only because Clancy Brown is in it. Clancy Brown to me means quality. If he's attached to a project, that means there's something to it. Yeah, I just I mean, I'll probably watch a few episodes to, to see if it's something but I, I don't know how they're going to differentiate this. Is it just going to be the boys, but they're all in college? And so it's like, what are they going to do? Like more drugs and sex <laughs> and drinking? They already go do all that. Or is it going to be like a high school thing, in which case you're entering kind of like CW area era where, you know, it's like, well, we won't have sex, but we will just have gratuitous Gordon drugs. That is a great question of how do you counterbalance a school of supers? Because what makes the boys interesting is not only the fact that it's an allegory for capitalism reading, leading into fascism and superheroes being just complete assholes. But you have the, the humans who are trying to find a way to just bring them down and expose their corruption. And this just looks like, hey, here's the, the school where we create the corruption and we just make sure it goes as far back into society as we can. So like maybe, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe they find out that they weren't born supers, but they were tested on kind of like what happens with Starlight in 
uh, later seasons of the boys, like maybe that's how they find it. Cause there, there needs to be something that makes it relatable and not just a, a blood fest of superpowers and infighting and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want them to like hunger games, battle Royale, the, the boys generation. I, that's part where it is a teaser and I imagine it's going to come out before season four of the boys does late next year, but I just, it's more of a wait and see. I'll give it a shot. Give it like three or four weeks to build up some episodes and you can just kind of binge them all yeah. at once. Yeah, and then dump it somewhere through it, through the middle. Speaking of just dumping something in the middle, Indiana <laughs> Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We are going to check that trailer out and we will be back in a minute, 43 seconds. But for you, it'll be much shorter. I miss waking up every morning wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Those days have come and gone. Perhaps, perhaps not. So, Bing sees this as the untitled Indiana Jones movie, while Google <laughs> sees this as Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Let's debate on which one is accurate. <laughs> Well, I mean, they even released a, a poster with this trailer, and there's nothing with it. It's just a picture of Indy, more or less being a silhouette. And it's like, you, you can't even put the Dial of Destiny on, on there, or just Indiana Jones? Like, come on, Disney slash Lucasfilm. Um, so did you notice that around the one minute, five second mark that they go into hyperspace? Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> they they briefly go into hyperspace, which I'm like, Wow. Well, I mean, they they have the Millennium Falcon and they have Han Solo in here, so you got to go into hyperspace. Exactly, Patton Oswalt's um, monologue from Parks and Rec is coming true. It's coming true. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm not going to dive too deep into this. It, there there's not a whole lot to it other than basically just saying, "Hey, Indy's back." I I really don't have a whole lot of excitement for this. I'm not a big fan of these legacy sequels, which a little bit of a tease. We have a, a really exciting episode coming up in January about legacy sequels with some really exciting guests. Oh, yeah. um, but that's all I'm going to say about that right now. But the idea of this movie coming out nearly 20 years after the sequel that shall not be named. I just I can't get into this because I mean, Harrison Ford filled this when he was like 77 or 78 and he got hurt while filming it. And they shot most of the movie around him like they did for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And like the big thing before the trailer came out was instead of promoting something about the movie, about the story or something like that, they're like, hey, we did a really great job with the de-aging in this movie. Cool. Yeah, Lucasfilm, apparently they're de-aging now. It is so good they can like do it instead of taking weeks or months. Their tech now is like they can almost live in the moment de-age with like a five second delay or something like that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> which I mean that's, that, that's that's great. It's cool, good for you. But how does that make the movie better? To me, that's kind of like the that's kind of like when the Crystal Skull was coming out and they're like, we're not going to rely on CGI. CGI was only used in the most necessary situations possible. And the very first fucking thing you see in that movie is a CGI goddamn gopher. So I will say the thing that didn't hit me that should have got me right in the feels and excited was I understand this is John Williams last score. He's retiring after after this movie comes out and finishes it. But this kind of slow down alternate version of the indie theme. It's very Star Wars. It's very sequel trilogy. They did that for every single sequel trilogy yeah. trailer. Why not just play the original damn music? 
that's actually like that is what I love about uh, Black Adam is that when Henry Cavill came out, you got the stinger of the original John Williams 1975 Superman music. That's what we want. We want the original music that lets us know this is safe. This is sound. This is comfort. It doesn't work. I mean, yes, it's there, but just because you're remixing the medley doesn't mean that it actually works. And I don't know if they're trying to like, hey, the music's a little old and tired because so is Harrison Ford. <laughs> no, no, you can't give me him like whipping out the whip, a 78-year-old man whipping the whip and cracking it and scaring the crap out of a bunch of people and a bunch of people pull guns on him, you know, an inverse of the first movie, and then tell me, be excited. He's still got some of it. I will say that part of this, for me at least, is veiled in my skepticism towards this movie. So like when the indie theme kicks on, I'm like, I hear it and I love it, but I'm like, it's no different than when I listen to it on Spotify when I'm feeling up for a jaunty little orchestra orchestral melody. But like that, that moment at the end, it's very indie, but it's not modern. So like the idea that he ducks and 19 people in this room just continue to shoot straight, even though he has ducked for two seconds and don't readjust their aim. It drives me crazy because like, yeah, that that works in the 80s. It doesn't work for a modern audience when everything is being nitpicked. Like, I don't want to fucking go on Twitter and see all these neck beards be like, why, why would they not aim down? It's it's indie. Get over it. But it, it the Internet has kind of ruined that moment for me because I know exactly where it's going to go. I am. Um, I'm trusting in James Mangold. He has been on a good streak recently with his writing and directing. But more than that, I'm trusting in Phoebe Waller-Bridge because Fleabag was fantastic. And you could see in the last um, James Bond movie, you could feel her touch of things that Thank she you. massaged. <laughs> you could feel her gentle hand massaging the script. <laughs> and I'm hoping that not only they bring her on for her acting prowess because she's a lovely actress and she is plucky and dynamite and can have gravitas. But I'm hoping that while on set, she was, you know, handing some notes going, we're going to fix some of this. <laughs> give me, give me, give me a few more pages to touch up right before we, we yell action. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. June 30th is not that far away. <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to get closer as this gets released. Unless it passes, pass, unless it goes by. <laughs> God, passes. Okay, moving Speaking on. Speaking of to... passing by, we meet. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Speaking of passing by, we have blown past the release date for John Wick 4 by about two years <laughs> because of COVID. Seriously, this movie was supposed to have been out like last year. So let's, yep. let's dive into yep. this trailer. We'll be back in two minutes and 30 seconds. Who is this? The Marquis de Gramont. Challenge him to single combat. Win or lose, it's a way out. I don't sit at the table. Your family does. Please pray for me. I was the black sheep of the family. Man has to look his best when it's time to get married. Or buried. I'm going to need a gun. Remember when this movie series was just about a guy trying to avenge his dead wife? Like, I love the escalation and the world building of these movies, but damn, have they just gotten completely outrageous. I really want to know if 
um, Bridget Monaghan is brought back for each movie? Like, does she just walk in and, like, film, like, half a morning and they pay her, like, minimum? Or did they, like, just keep all this footage from the first movie? Like, they filmed, like, 10 days and then she's just getting residuals? Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, she's back! <laughs> Again! For another flashback. Speaking of being back, my guy Clancy Brown. Heck yeah. We, we get a quick little <laughs> glimpse of him showing off some old school guns, but man, do I love me some Clancy Brown. So what I love about this series is that you get a little world building each movie. And because they are so thin with the world building that anything they add just slots right into place. Like for some reason, if this movie revealed that 96% of the world is actually assassins, I would not blink an eye. I'd be like, yep. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Everything in the previous movies tracked to this moment. <laughs> but I love watching movies for the action, but my wife is an anthropologist. That's like what she studied in, in high in college. And she can pinpoint little things of world building and moments in movies and series and games that just, I love her ability to do that. And when I'm writing, I have her read my books and she like, will you know, be like, you do realize it's dumb and I fix it. I just love how she is able to get invested in a series like this because of those little drops of world building that just slot in place, make sense, bring those moments of, uh, of, uh, of revelation and I'm looking at this going like, yeah, of course there's like an hourglass. You have to be there by sun and there's going to be a bunch of guys on the stairs to stop you. That just makes sense for the world we have. <laughs> yeah, with this really old school Assassin's Guild or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it just – and I, I I don't want the TV show because I don't want there to be this like weight of continuity uh, that becomes a shadow over the movies. Like it, it sounds great. Is it uh, – uh, oh, geez, who is it? Uh, is it Ana de Armas who's in it? That's Ballerina. Ballerina, um, that's, that's a spin-off. spin-off with, uh, yeah, with Angelica Houston and Keanu last night at some awards thing, he confirmed that he is shooting scenes for that movie, too. Okay, so he, he's basically shooting Tony Stark scenes in Incredible Hulk just to kind of hang hammer it over the head that these are connected. But I, I, I just, I don't like it expanding just because I, I, again, I don't want there to be that that cloud of continuity. I wanted to just kind of keep building as the movies go on because the first movie was just like, oh, John, you were part of this secret society. If you go killing people, you're going to be back in and people are going to want to come at you. You got out clean. That's it. If you come back, you, you your debts come back to you. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Going to kill everyone. And then in the second one, it's like there's a whole Senate of people or a whole council of people that govern this assassin, this global assassin's body. And it just keeps growing. And I'm like, it's amazing and confusing all at the same time. And it makes no sense, but it looks pretty and it's fun. So I don't care where now it's, we've got a TV show and another movie coming out. And it's like, don't muddy the water. Yeah. I mean, I'm not interested really in the continental, which is like supposed to be like a movie, but then it became like a series. And then it became like a limited run series and stuff like 12 episodes. You're only doing like four. But I am just interested enough that I want to know what is going on with that. And I will watch it because I'm a sucker. But I'm going to basically just treat it as the movies are canon and, you know, the Wick movies are canon. And until I see something that makes me go, hmm, 
I'm not going to really pay attention to the others. Though I do love Anna Damaris, and I want to see Ballerina because I want to just see her whoop ass. And I love Angelica Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll probably see both Ballerina and the Continental as well because I'm I'm curious about the how they'll handle it and see what they do with it. But it's definitely not something that excites me because again, it just it feels like you're adding pressure to something that doesn't need it. It's not needed by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this series was supposed to have yeah. wrapped with John Wick 3, but they're like, uh, these are making money and people love them. So they're they're just kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, and then they were supposed to film 4 and 5 back-to-back, but COVID got in the way as well as um, a fourth Matrix movie that I really don't remember anything about. Did they, they release that? <laughs> I think we have it on, uh, on record that you really enjoyed that movie. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I went back and deleted that episode off of Spotify <laughs> and all the Zencaster and all the rest. <laughs> Speaking of things we can't they that get deleted, apparently Haley Steinfeld was deleted from the Transformers franchise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know that for sure. I'm pretty sure there is she is gonna show up, but we are gonna go through the Transformers Rise of the Beast trailer with a fine tooth comb. We shall return. The one to fear, Prime. There is a darkness coming. <laughs> she, how does a little wave from something you think you're hallucinating make you think, oh yeah, that's real? <laughs> it's true. And we're back, and hopefully you are too. So did you know Ron Perlman was Optimus Primal? I did not know that, actually. I didn't realize it because I, I decided to look up the, the cast for Rise of the Beasts, and I was like, Ron Perlman is Optimus Primal? That's awesome, but it's also kind of awesome that they didn't make him just be Ron Perlman. And I have comments about that involving our last trailer about people that you don't realize are others because they're not being themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I have angry comments. Here, I have happy ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love this trailer. So the this trailer is so fun. Like I, I have not been excited for a Transformers movie since probably... Uh, what, what was the second one before I realized that one was written and created during the writer's strike. And then I saw yeah. it and there's the giant testicle joke. And I was like, fuck this franchise. The first one I was kind of excited for revenge of the fallen. Didn't do much for me. Dark of the moon was terrible. Age of extinction got worse. The last night was, ugh. I did enjoy Bumblebee though. Bumblebee like, was good. Bumblebee T was great. Yeah. It was really cute. It and there were some weird stylistic choices, especially coming after the shape of water where I was like, is she in love with Bumblebee? This is some weird stuff right now. I think I even mentioned that on our, on one of the early episodes of the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like a really a little, weird, a little concerned. like, is he a pet or is it an infatuation? Like where, where is that line being drawn? Is there a line being drawn? Oh yeah. But what I especially love at the end of the movie that they sequel baited it with the original old school, Optimus Prime landing on Earth, finding Bumblebee, and you got to actually see the design from the '80s that I know and love. Of it's a little clunky, a little, uh, a little boxy, but, but you it can was see how he transforms. What I thought, yeah. Yes, that, that's where the Michael Bay movies got go. way too complicated. Is the fact that like, yeah, I, I had bought my nephew's. Uh, I think it was like an 18-inch Bumblebee Camaro after Rise of the Fallen had come out, or whatever that one was called, uh, and it, like. Transforming that thing was a, 
a five minute endeavor. It was a pain in the ass. Transformers are supposed to take like 30 seconds. You go up, down, spread the legs, arms out, twist the head, <laughs> pop down the chest, you're done. Like this was like, you've got to open the door and you've got to pop the hood and you've got to pull out the panels. Like it, it, it was like deconstructing a connect set. I was actually just thinking that I was like, you sound like you're putting together connects. That's a very old school Lego style reference for you young people. Uh, I said I said connects, uh, not connect or anything like that. It's not the Xbox thing. Yeah, yeah it w- it was not a uh, it wasn't an Erector set. It was a connects. <laughs> yes, it was a cheaper version because they used plastic. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I and will I say about it. this movie, which you you kind of brought up, the Optimus Prime design, I hate that they're still giving him the mouth. I I was hoping with Bumblebee we had moved on past it. Unfortunately, we have not. We don't need the mouth. That's my same complaint that I have with Age of Ultron with the design for Ultron is we don't need the mouth. It's not necessary if you can just do like what they did in the cartoon where you have the little face shield moving. It conveys that he is speaking. Problem solved. You don't need a goddamn mouth to make him look like he's emoting. Yeah, there are car. They are cars and or jets or other vehicles. They speak through their speakers. That's all we need. We don't need a mouth. It works for Bumblebee. Bumblebee can't talk except through his speakers. Just let it go. But that being said, I love the design of RC because RC is RC straight out amazing. of like, whatever. Like, she looks exactly like she does in the cartoon, which, you know, they've made it very humanoid because apparently we need somebody very humanoid to interact with. I'm really, really hoping that this movie that they actually show, because I had it when I was a kid, I had Optimus Prime and I had his 18 wheeler and the 18 and you, you know, Optimus Prime came out and you got to like, you know, manipulate him into the little thing in the trailer bed fell down and there's a giant gun on the inside that he could man. I really hope that they do that. because that is something i've wanted forever because that was an expensive toy damn it it was given to me and i have no idea where it is pretty sure i got i lost it somewhere but it was an amazing toy and i loved it it went well with my micro machines because optimus prime would roll up and he would just decimate the micro machines and have the little micro machine base one of our uh upcoming talking smackdowns that was suggested was gobots versus transformers and everyone was like transformers destroy the gobots although someone did raise a really great point that Gobots did kill Drax's uncle. So, like, you have that going for him. But th- this movie looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like it's going to continue the Bumblebee idea of uh, a lot. Of, everyone responded really well to that opening Cybertron scene. And so it seems like they went, okay, I guess that's what people want. Let's give them more of that while we still do a, a bunch of the human stuff, too. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I hope it is fun. I, I wasn't going to put it on our list of things to, to review, but after seeing this trailer, I'm like, God damn it, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of things we got to do, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're going to watch this trailer. This will be like my third time watching this trailer, and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. See you in about two minutes. 156 and no more. <laughs> I said about. <laughs> Kill anyone who gets in our way. No, not kill anyone. Kill a few people. Kill no people. Kill one guy, one stupid guy who no one loves. Now you're just making it sad. So this one I I am more excited for. I I was a little skeptical after volume two, which again, anyone who listened to uh, What You Doing, I, I do not like volume two. It is one of my least favorite MCU entries. 
And this one, it seems like it's going to be a lot more serious, which we talked about earlier of Marvel dealing with a lot of loss. Um, minor spoiler alert, which this is purely speculation, but I think like it's a pretty good bet. I'm pretty sure Dave Batista's Drax is going to die in this movie. Maybe even Rocket. It seems like Rocket is being baited as as the dead one, but I think it's going to be Drax uh, because he's Batista has said that he's he's done with the character, especially with the way Marvel treated James Gunn after his Twitter fiasco, where a joke he made like 15 years ago came up and they're like, oh, we can't have dark humor about abortions in 2019. So they they let him go and then they brought him back because like they realized, oh, this people can grow and people can change and life is life. So it's it's one of those things where Batista's ready to move on from the character. He's played him five times, six times, uh, if you count the the holiday special. So he I can see where he's done and he he obviously wants to do more unique things with acting. Um, he did a really great job in. Blade Runner 2049 and uh he also had a really surprising role in what was it was it Spectre or was it the one after Spectre? It was Spectre. Yeah, and now he's got Glass Onion coming up which we will be reviewing when it hits Netflix. Uh so like he he wants to do more acting things and I I can't blame him for that, but I I am excited for this movie just because I am interested to see what comes of all this and I think I am invested a little bit more in the Gamora storyline, because if you see the poster that they released for this, she's on the ship with them. And I believe she's in the Guardians uniform as well. So something yeah, happens like... where she's she's like, OK, maybe I'm not going to be romantically involved with Peter, but we need to be the Guardians of the Galaxy. And we need to be a whole team. The only other thing yeah. I'm going to add into this before I let Alex go is uh, Groot looks like a Ninja Turtle. I, I can't yeah. unsee it. But they did fix his I am Groot face, which in the first movie, I think for dubbing reasons, his mouth doesn't quite line up when he screams I am Groot in the prison. But now in, in this one, he he looks like he's saying I am Groot. I'm I'm over the whole Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Like the second one is just I, I can't rewatch it because the humor is just so bad and lingers too long i mean the end with um yondu's death and that like funeral scene do does get me um i re saw that at the end of that recently um i i didn't like the, the i didn't like suicide squad it just didn't work for me at all it felt kind of vicious and mean i the guard uh the gardens of galaxy holiday special mostly worked except it's continuing that James Gunn hasn't really learned what worked the first time. So he caricatures the characters like Groot. I mean, not Groot. Drax went from he just doesn't get metaphors to he's a simpleton idiot who doesn't understand. Does he not think picking up a ball and slamming a child in the face with it is not going to incite violence? That's out of character to the first movie. It's kind of in character to the second one where he talks about how prodigious his shits are. <laughs> and... Oh, I'm I'm so silent. You know, I move so slowly. I'm invisible. And they, and that's actually some of what Dave Bautista talked about is that he hates what they've done with his character. They've made him the butt of a joke. Whereas in the first movie, yeah. he actually had people who were like, "Oh, maybe Drax could be like an autistic identifying kind of yeah. person." Because there were yeah. there, he, he Bautista got letters from people who were autistic, and he he's talked about how the character of Drax meant a lot to those people because they, they did a lot of the same things 
they do, or he did, he did a lot of the thing, same things they do. Now he's just kind of a big goofball. So like I can I can get that. Um, I do think that the the ball bit maybe that plays out a little bit longer. Like maybe Peter tries to explain to him like she wants you to throw the ball back to her, and he just yeah does a Drax thing and is like just chucks it at her. Yeah, maybe I don't know. The holiday special, which was supposed to be like you know the triumphant return, it did work in aspects because there was a sincere, heartfelt portion going through it. There the thread worked as you know. The Kevin Bacon stuff, again, some of those jokes just went on way too long with, you know, talking about the continuous crapping on actors. Oh, it's actors talking about how <laughs> terrible actors are. So some of that didn't really didn't work. I hate the new Groot design. It's so weird. He's a Ninja Turtle. Yeah. The Mantis moment worked. Like, you know, Mantis saying like, oh, we're actually, you know, siblings. And, you know, that works. But at the same time, is they're kind of doing the same thing with Mantis where – her funniness is she screams in this kind of deep voice at, at Drax and then goes to her sweet side. It, I'm not sure we're going to get solid humor and pathos in this movie. And that kind of scares me because, you know, if this is the final send-off, which it has to be because he has he's running DC now. But I, I just don't really care. I'm kind of over this grouping of characters as they're being run by him. And also something that bothers me is that he was getting, and James Gunn got into a Twitter fight with some people who were upset that Nebula stole Bucky's arm. Because he went, it's canon, that's Bucky's real arm. Bucky's missing an arm going forward. Who knows how he gets it back in Thunderbolt. I'm like, dude, it was a joke. And people were like, and he's like, if you don't believe a cybernetic alien can just beat up a puny human and take his arm, then, you know, you're an idiot. I'm like, Bucky isn't a human. Bucky is a superhuman. He has a super soldier formula. How the hell did you steal his arm? <laughs> I find that just kind of randomly petty. Like, I, I, it was like a Kotaku article or some crap. It was like, <laughs> he confirms it's the real arm. And I clicked on it and it showed him fighting with people over Nebula being able to whoop Bucky's, uh, Bucky's ass and steal his arm. And so the next mo- movie is going to have to explain why Bucky has a new arm. I'm like, this is petty, stupid shit. And I really don't give a crap. And I'm really <laughs> just disappointed in, in my life now that I've wasted not only the listener's time, but my time reading this article. <laughs> I thought it was a, a good one-off gag. I think it would have been better if they had gotten the Winter Soldier arm. Yeah, but it's the gold one. Yeah, it's it's the one from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, like, who knows? It's the vibranium arm from Wakanda. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But there are going to be there are going to be people who care. And the easy answer is Bucky went back to the Wakandans and said, "Hey, my arm went missing. Um, can I get a new one?" And you know, the Wakandans would probably have a tracker on it at the very least because they know how to find him anyway. So they'd be yeah, like, uh, "It's yeah. not on Earth." So here you go, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's part of what bothers me about that is that in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, when he's fighting in the Marja Dorm, I I think that's the the, Dorm the Wakandan Lange? defender's name. Yeah, sorry, thank you. And they are just hitting him, and he's like, what the, in his, like, shoulder, and it's like, what the hell's going on? And it turns out that they have built in a safeguard to disable the arm so it falls off. And the horror on his face where they realize that they have crippled him is such a strong character moment for me. Because it does show, because Marvel does have some problems with representation, you know, that they're fixing. And it shows that Bucky is vulnerable in that that makes him feel human to have to have that and that they just stripped that from him i loved that moment because it shows his vulnerability and you know sebastian stan really sold that and also falcon the winter soldier just has some of the best bucky moments 
where he, where they're saying, you know, the Wakandans are helping him when they're working through his stuff, through his Winter Soldier training, and they're saying the words to him, and he's so terrified he's going to slip back into that persona and start fighting all of them. And they their therapy has actually helped him humanize himself and solve some of his PTSD. I really love that. So... That's also why I'm so annoyed by them by them suggesting that it's a cannon that they stole his arm because it's a good gag, but it also is attacking a super soldier war veteran with PTSD and re dehuman de- uh, disabling him. I took that joke way too seriously. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I know, I know. Cut that all out. Just it just nope. it, it, it's, it's super bothering. Now. I think it's a funny joke, and I laughed, but the argument that it's canon is I think a really stupid one. Yeah. That's the part that bothers me. And speaking of things that bother you, let's move into <laughs> our final trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. This is the second trailer. We'll be right back in two minutes and 20-ish seconds. Good, you got the timing right. <laughs> Come on, Mario! Our big adventure begins now! Ah, get it off, get it off, get it off! <laughs> There's a huge universe out there with a lot of galaxies. They're all counting on us. No pressure. This movie looks like it is going to be so much fun, despite the uninspired performances from, in my opinion, at least through these trailers chris pratt and anya taylor joy as peach just sounds so generic i i i don't know i need to see more from her at least or or more from the performance with Mm -hmm. her but at least through this trailer and she sounds like she's just doing generic american voice there doesn't feel like there's a lot of stuff to it like there's a lot of internet discourse about peach being a girl boss and going off and basically looking like she's gonna go save the day I, I will be willing to bet money that the way this turns out is they they do their big Mad Max run on Rainbow Road. It, it all goes to shit and Mario has to go and save the day at the very end because you have to have Mario save Peach at the very end because it's a Mario Brothers movie. If they don't do that, I'll be very surprised. I'll be very happy, but I'll be very surprised as well. So what is working for me in this movie is Dennis Hopper as King Koopa, I think is really selling it well. <laughs> and Mojo Nixon as Toad is just is really good. Um, but really, Bob Hoskins, that they saved his audio and were able to piece it together for Mario is just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. So... I like Jack Black as Bowser. I think oh, that he is sounds fantastic. Great. He sounds great. Keegan-Michael Key is kind of doing Keegan-Michael Key, which is okay for Toad. Yeah, you, you can't have Toad voice for an entire movie or even as like a supporting no, role. Like, no. 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 But yeah, the, the two who I'm just not really sold on is Chris Pratt as Mario. Like, the little woohoo thing, I was like, that's actually pretty good. And occasionally he was like, it's a me or something like that. I'm like, okay. But I, I get that you can't do a full on Mario voice for an entire movie, like from the, uh, from the games. Yeah. It just, it just won't work. It, it would be so grating after about two minutes, but you could do like a Bob Hoskins. You could do like, uh, 
the, who, there was a live action cartoon, Captain whatever his name was, I forget his name. You could do something that is not necessarily a bland Bronx Italian, you know? I mean, I don't need the House of Gucci, but... <laughs> I think that's where I'm coming, trying to come from as well is, is the fact that like I, I tweeted about this, someone put up a side by side with like the, the Chris Pratt Wahoo and the, the French dub with the guy going Yahoo. And the, the entire difference is the inflection where Chris Pratt sounds like he's just doing a Mario impression. There's like no emotion behind it. He's just going Wahoo. Whereas the French guy, he, he says Yahoo, probably because French Mario says Yahoo, but he sounds like he's having fun. He sounds like the image is what it's supposed to be doing. It, it just sounds flat and uninspired, which again is my biggest complaint about Chris Pratt getting this role is it feels uninspired. And yeah, Taylor Joy being Princess Peach is like, it, it's fine. But that is, so that is actually what's surprising. So when The Rock was in Moana, he went to the other voice actors and he went to them for direction and he went to them for how to be, how to do inflection and how to properly voice act because he didn't want to do the movie unless he was sure he could hold his own against the others. And that's why I really think that he works in that movie so well. Like he can't sing, but he sells that song (laughs) (laughs) and he sells his role really well. And, and some people can just get away with them being themselves because they are that kind of keyed up. You have to over emote. You have it's to. It's the charisma. Sell. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sell like, um, yeah, like Keegan Michael Key did. And um, recently they did, they released some Beauty and the Beast, the animated version um, with the passing of, oh God, I can't remember, Mrs. Potts. Angela Lansbury. Uh, Jessica Flusser. Yeah. Angela Lansbury. Thank you. All I could think of was Jessica Fletcher because I watched so much murder she wrote. But yeah, they released her singing um, Be Our Guest, her, her footage from that. And they she was singing with a full orchestra. And she's just not singing the lines. She is doing her full body, the mannerisms and movement, because she is not reading lines. She is acting. She is not just, I'm in a booth given a performance she's encapsulating the role that is what i think works well for keegan michael key that's what i think is working well for charlie day as luigi is that they are hyped up versions of themselves and they're like we're in a movie we're going to be this and luigi's voice works and that is why i'm so impressed with bowser that jack black is not doing his jack Black voice he could just do you know his pick of destiny voice his um his Orange County voice, his, you know, whatever Jack, his Jack Black voice. He could do that, but he's not. He's giving a performance. And that is what I think is a current problem with Chris Pratt is that I don't feel like he's given a performance. I feel like he's just reading lines and went, hey, Mario kind of sounds like this. And I, I'm wondering if that's not because they're overcompensating for trying to not be offensive because... He did really well in the Lego movie. He did really well in the second Lego movie. Like it's the story isn't as good, but he is doing a a really good performance. He's playing dual roles in that movie. But in this, it just everything comes off as flat. And like it, maybe it's it's a little bit of a tint of, in perception as well, because I am very tired of him as or at this point in time. But it like I said, it, it just feels like maybe he's trying too hard to not be offensive while still trying to hit the Mario words. Right. And I think that is what is going to be 
problematic when it comes to the Garfield movie that he is Garfield coming out soon. Garfield is Lorenzo Music from the TV. You know, Lorenzo Music did that role for about 19, 20 years, and that is who I hear when I hear Garfield. Yes. I, I think Bill Murray did an okay job because he was kind of being Bill Murray, but it also worked because that was just kind of how Garfield was. Garfield is not just a flat voice. Garfield is a persona, a mannerism, a grumpy but excitable cat. And Lorenzo Music did so amazing with it. And that is why he was there forever. And Frank Welker, I saw some of the Garfield Gets Real stuff. And um, in the Garfield show that came back for a while in the, like, the mid-teens uh, mid or whatever on Cartoon Network. And he was okay. He was kind of sound like Lorenzo Music, frankly, I think. But I don't want to hear Chris Pratt do Garfield and talk about Mondays <laughs> and lasagna and kicking Odie. I don't want that. I want a performance. He can do energy really well, but I don't know if he can do that kind of mundane Garfield kind of idea very well. Well, I mean, we'll see. It, dep- it largely depends on the, the uh, voice director, too. If you don't have a great voice director with actors who are inexperienced with voiceover work, which, I mean, Chris Pratt has at least two voiceover jobs under his belt, it really can affect the movie as well. Because if you don't have a good voice director and if or they're not communicating with the actor the way they need to be communicated with, you can run into an issue like this where everything is just very flat, where, OK, you're excited. You just you just jumped onto the rainbow road and you're going to go do something. You give me a the best wahoo you have. And they also record alternates. This is the best alternate that Chris Pratt gave you with his wahoo. Really? Or that's the best yeah. one that your director chose. Like there, there's a disconnect here. Right. And, and you're right. I'm thinking of uh, Brad Bird and the Incredibles movies. And that Violet is being played by uh, Sarah Val, who I believe is an author. I think it was her first voice acting role, maybe her only voice acting roles, I think. I'm not sure. But that works. She, encapsul- she encapsulated that role so well because of the strength of the direction of Brad Bird. And I do hope that the Garfield movie is good because it is the, the director of that is the director who did uh, Chicken Little and who did Emperor's New Groove. So he got good performances out of John Goodman. That's very easy to do. Mm-hmm. But also David Spade worked really well as Cusco. And that was fantastic. So I'm hoping that this two minutes that we have, like maybe 40 seconds of total audio from Chris Pratt, is going to be is going to be something inspired and something I will take passable at this point because I am going to go see this movie because I... I haven't seen a uh, Super Mario movie since the 90s one, which is a bit of a guilty pleasure because of how horrible it is. (laughs) But especially since I saw that in theaters, I remember being like eight or nine and going like, this is kind of what the hell. (laughs) You know, Mario's last name is Mario. (laughs) I I don't want two uninspired leads with a great cast surrounding cast, a supporting cast. I need, because if this movie does well, which it probably will, they're going to bring him back. They have to. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're probably obligated to because they probably signed like a three or four picture deal or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to like this movie. But the moment I have, what, Mario franchise is 40 years old at this point. If we have 40 years of like basically a continuous, uh, continuous through line of what Mario sounds like. And this ain't it. I have faith in this movie just because I, I think from what we've seen, it is 
going to be enjoyable. They're, they're throwing everything at this. They're, they're probably teasing Mario Galaxies for the sequel. With this one, they're, they're just throwing everything at it. You've got Smash Brothers references. You've got Donkey Kong. You've got origi- like Hammer Man or whatever as the, the Donkey Kong villain. Um, you've got Mario Kart. There's probably, my bet is there's going to be a post credit scene that's going to be Mario Party. And you've got oh, yeah. all this sort of stuff. So, like, I, I expect this to be a lot of fun and people recognizing things that they enjoy about the Mario franchise. But Chris Pratt, as of right now, again, just it feels so uninspired, which uh, for the intro of this episode, you heard the let's go. That's a joke. <laughs> I yeah. put it in there as a joke because it is such a stupid thing. Like they're trying so hard to be like, he says Mario things. Look, it's just not what you expect it to be. I still like Chris Pratt. Like I watched the terminal list. I thought he did really well in that playing a soldier dealing with trauma while going on a re- revenge. But he does seem to have hit a point in his career where maybe he's just tired of the work that he's signed up for a bunch of these like movies and he's just like oh crap i have to do this and he really only gives his passion project his passion to some projects but dear lord you say you love you say you love this franchise you say you love mario you've played it since you were a child give me some love for mario's voice man (laughs) don't tell me you took the garfield movie because you like lasagna (laughs) (laughs) zoe saldana just recently came out as uh talking about how she regrets having spent the last 10 years of her life working on franchise films between star trek avatar and the the mcu and it's like i mean you didn't have to i'm sure those paydays are nice but i'm sure it's also taken out of context i didn't read the full article and i'm sure the the quote is taken out of context as well but like i'm sure she she meant to say something along the lines of like i've missed out on a lot of really inspired roles that i would have loved to have tried to take on because i was in these contracts she did film Avatar 2, 3, and 4 back to back. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's probably a little bit of it that she's like, dear Lord, I'm tired of being in makeup and green screen. Can I please just act in something <laughs> where I don't have, where I can just put on, you know, a, f- a few articles of clothing and act? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I stand next to a real person, please, instead of some dots? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, this episode has gone on a little long, but hopefully it won't be so long for you after the edit. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to watch all these trailers with me. Yep, yep, yep. And you can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. You can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. You can interact with me and Alex on either Twitter or Facebook uh, through the Talking Smack pages. Please don't forget to join our Discord because then you can talk to everyone. Uh, You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes and Beppo and Retro Ale Studio for our avatars. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, and most of all, thank you for listening. And as as this episode has gone, uh, as this episode was being recorded uh, just beforehand, I put out our poll for Talking Smackdowns Volume 3, and we have until the evening of December 10th to get your vote in for our lineup card. Please make sure you do that as well. It is pinned on our Twitter board. I'm not even going to pin the most recent episode until after that poll closes, so please keep that in mind. And with that, uh, again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Alex, who is playing our theme music? Uh, Tyler Bates, fresh off of, I don't know, he did something recently. <laughs> 300. <laughs> there you go, fresh off of 300. No, John Wick 4, that's what I meant. Fresh off of John Wick 4. <laughs> All right, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Take care. Watch Violet Night. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you, Spider-Man.